Okay, we are looking at Psalm 32. Specifically looking at Psalm 32, verse 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, look at the screen. Because that verse has been in front of you all morning long. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What is the truth there? What what truth are you hearing God say to us through that verse? If he if we acknowledge our sin, what? He will take it away. He's faithful. He will remove. But what does he remove? What does he forgive? Our sin. But what does it say at the very bottom of that phrase? The iniquity of my sin. Look at there's three specific words in that verse that talk about sin. Do you see them? Sin. Okay. What's another one? Iniquity. Transgressions. If you were to look in the original Hebrew, or if you were to look in the Greek, you would find that those words are different in this sentence because indeed they are different words. They are not the same words just said differently in our English translation. But indeed, when it says, I acknowledge my sin and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, the word sin there is the same Greek word. But it's not the same as where it's translated iniquity, and it's not the same as where it's translated transgressions. So that caught my attention when I was looking at this weeks and weeks and weeks ago. At the top of my Bible, which you can't see because I did it in light purple, it says, what is the difference between transgression and sin and iniquity? Because in verse 1 of this chapter, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is atoned or covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then going on in verse 5, as we just looked at it, talks about it again. And I was intrigued. And so I, I pulled out my iPad and I looked uh, at my electronic Bible and I cheated because it's always easier and faster to cheat than it is to try and do all the work yourself. So I said, show me every verse in the Bible or every part of the Bible that has the word iniquity, transgression and sin. So I found some that were really intriguing. I want to read a couple of them to you. First one, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, for those of you that are taking notes. Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. Now, to understand this, we need to understand um, what's going on. Now, this in the book of Exodus is where Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments written on tablets that God himself wrote, and then Moses came down and found the uh, Israelites engaging in worship of a golden calf, and Moses destroyed the tablets in anger. So then God called Moses back up to the mountain and he said, but before you do, you cut your own tablets this time. And so he said, Lord, the Lord said to Moses, verse one of chapter 34, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet, which you broke. 
Be ready by the morning and come up to the, in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, and he went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Okay, now picture this. Moses has come up to be in the presence of God Almighty, El Shaddai. And God comes out of the heavens and literally appears before Moses in the cloud. It's an awesome, powerful electrifying moment. And what what happens? It says the Lord passes before Moses proclaiming, this is God saying this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, And sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. You see, Moses had to go back up and make make good with God because he, as the leader of the people who had rebelled against God, needed to go before God and confess and repent and ask for God's pardon. But again, there is a distinction made. God himself said in verse 7, I forgive sin and iniquity and transgression. But then he goes on and says, I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. So help us to process a little bit. I mean, just sit with me. for. I mean, we don't have time this morning to do what I've done over the last number of hours and days. But process. What in the world is the difference between sin and transgression and iniquity? Because obviously there's some distinction. Otherwise it wouldn't have been said. And how can iniquity be visited upon subsequent generations? Let's think about that for just a second. And as you're doing so, turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16 outlines an amazing and powerful day in the life of of ancient Israel. It is the day once a year where God is petitioned by the high priest to forgive every sin that the people of Israel have committed in that last year. It is the day of atonement. It is the day known as Purim. It is the day when the high priest must first purify himself through offerings and washings, who then goes into the Holy of Holies with incense and with blood of a bull and blood of a goat to make atonement on behalf of the people of Israel So that God would continue to bless them and keep them and be their God. Now, we again don't have time this morning. You can go this week and read Leviticus chapter 16. But there is something specific in Leviticus chapter 16 that I want to read. And that's found 
in verse uh, 21, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Now, again, we don't have time to go into all the details of this, but just understand, in the Day of Atonement, one of the parts of this is that God commanded that there would be a goat that would be sacrificed and its blood sprinkled on the altar, and there would be a goat that would carry the sins of the people out of the camp or away from the people, and it would literally never to be returned. And so the idea was that God was removing the iniquity, the sin, the transgressions from his sight so that the people were separated from them. Again, we don't have time to talk about what what Purim is or what the Day of Atonement is, but understand that from the most ancient of times in God's interaction with his people, he specifically delineated between sin, transgression, and iniquity. And it is important, I think, that we understand what that difference is. So what is the difference? Well, let's look at the first first word, sin. That's the easiest one to look at and to understand. That Greek word sin, that's translated sin, is called hamartia. Hamartia simply means missing the mark. The best way to understand that is if you were an archer and you were pulling back on your bow and releasing the arrow, you were aiming for the bullseye and you were off just a little bit. So you missed the bullseye by just a little bit. You missed the mark. That's what hamartia means. So when we're talking about hamartia being sin, that means there is a perfect standard that God has set. These are the, the, this is the rule. You shall follow this rule and this rule only. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments encapsulate the entire of the Ten Commandments and all of the law and all of the prophets. So, if you were to love God perfectly and want to walk purely before Him, you must follow the rules that God set for human beings. <coughs> the problem is, as we just showed the kids, Romans six twenty, I mean three twenty three says, every single human being who has ever walked this earth has missed the mark. There is not a single human being, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who has ever lived a perfectly sinless life. And so, if there is a standard that is to be met of perfection, and we have all missed it, what hope is there for you? Well, God has provided that hope through Jesus Christ, and we understand that. But we're looking right now, what is the difference between sin, what is the difference between transgression, and what is the difference between iniquity? Sin is missing the mark. There are some sins that you do because you just messed up. Okay? And in 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 if you examine and we don't have time again this morning to go through every little thing, but if you look at what types of sin could be happening, what type of hamartia, missing the mark could be happening, say Say you are not well, you don't feel good, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're sick at your stomach, you've got a headache, you're a little bit dehydrated, you've had a really rough day, and you come home, and your kid is so excited to see you, daddy, 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 shut up! Leave me alone! Okay? Now, was that intentional? Did you try to be mean-spirited to your kid? No. No. Were you? Yes. 
That's hamartia. That's sin. It is, I broke the standard. I violated the law. But it wasn't like I was intending to do it. It just happened. The next one is transgression. That's, I know what I'm supposed to do. Or I know what I'm not supposed to do. And I ain't doing it. No, you're going to make me do it. I am choosing, willfully making a decision. You cannot make me follow that line. I ain't doing it. That's transgression. Do you see the difference between sin and transgression? You see the need for both to be forgiven? God, I have indeed sinned. I have hamartia. I have missed the perfect standard. And I'm sorry that I did. Or, oh God, I was willful in my disobedience and I need your forgiveness. Now, think. I want you to think about this. Um, well, well, we'll get there in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Iniquity. What's the difference between an unintentional sin or a missing of the mark, a willful choosing to not do what you're supposed to do or not, or do not, you know, you know what I'm saying, omit what you're supposed to do. What is iniquity? Scholars that I read said that you can commit sin. You can commit transgression. You cannot commit iniquity. Iniquity is not a verb. Iniquity is a state of being. Iniquity is the condition of your heart. After continual rebellion, 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 rebellion against God... You finally reach the point where you couldn't care less. You're going to do what you want to do. And it makes no difference whether there's a God or not. That's iniquity. So can you see now where God would say, I'm going to visit iniquity onto the third, I mean, onto the generations that follow. Because think about what iniquity can do. Iniquity can be physical abuse in the home. Iniquity can be rage in the home. Iniquity can be sexual abuse in the home. When you reach the point where you no longer give a care about what God says or what his people say or what the word of God says and you just live however you feel like you want to live. If you look at Romans chapter 1, it talks about people who've reached the point where they don't even care. They just live however they feel like they want to live and they find other people who are like-minded and they all rally around each other and just encourage you. You just keep going because you're a good person. And so God says there needs to be a confession, a repentance, and a healing not only of unintentional sin and certainly not only of intentional, willful sin or transgression, But there needs to be a breaking of this condition known as carnality, known as uh, complacency, known as uh, apostasy. What is apostasy? Anybody? Do you know what apostasy is? I hate it when ministers and pastors use words that nobody knows what they are. Let me read to you out of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible, 
In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And if they have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. You see, if a person who knew God and walked with God and experienced God and experience the power of God goes back into a life of sin, there remains no hope for them. Because if they've rejected the only means of salvation, there is no other place for them to turn. And so what ends up happening? They end up in iniquity. Where they just don't give a rip. Do you know anybody, and I'm not asking you to name names, but do you know anybody who once was walking with Christ, who now is not walking with with Christ, and their heart is so hard they couldn't even care less. You see how scary that is? If you look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, and we don't have time to read the whole thing, But there's a story in Matthew, it's also in Mark, where Jesus comes across a person who is blind and mute because of demon oppression. And Jesus heals him. And all the people are amazed, saying, can this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? But when the Pharisees hear about it, they say, it's by the devil himself that he's doing this. And Jesus speaks against them. And then finally he says, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Except the blasphemy against the spirit. It will not be forgiven. Now, I have struggled for many, many years as a, in my early walk with Christ. Wondering, oh my word, how can I guard against blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What can I do to make sure that I don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Because that's an unforgivable sin. The word of God says that. And I received some very wise counsel from my pastor, who also happened to be my father-in-law. And he said, Bob, you can stop worrying about it. Because if you ever blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you won't care. So as long as you still care, you know you haven't done it. As long as you still care, you know you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because if you walk that far away from God, you won't care. And that's what we were seeing evidenced in the lives of these Pharisees. They were so caught up in themselves and their religion that they had forgotten all about what it means to be a living, a servant of the living God and have that intimacy. Like we talked about earlier about like the child, the weaned child sitting with its mother, just enjoying the presence of God. All they were worried about was making sure that they followed the rules. Making sure that they didn't ever break the rule. To the point where they lost track and lost sight. Of the one that they were trying to follow the rules for. To the point where they became apostate. And there was no calling them back. Imagine the sadness in Christ's heart as he sat there with those people. Looking at them saying, you are such blind fools. You don't get it. You have gotten so off the track that you don't even feel it anymore. 
I had a friend, a fellow minister, her name you know, it's Elaine Pettit. And we were visiting one time, I don't remember if it was while she was here, if it was some other place, but she was telling me privately that she was at a church. And as you were, if you were here back when she was here, you recall, she spends upwards of three hours every single morning in prayer so that she can do the ministry that God has called her to do. And one time she was at a particular church and she was on her face before God and she said that there were some people sitting in the back row of the church that she felt impressed. There was a problem and she wanted to pray over them. And so that next morning when she was praying, she went to pray over the people that had sat in that pew last night. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God said to her? Stop praying. But why, God? Ichabod. Do you know what the word Ichabod means? The glory has departed. Here, these people were at a revival service. Leaders and pillars of the congregation. And she felt in her spirit something was not right. So she went to pray for them. And the Lord said, don't. It would be a waste of your time and mine. Can you imagine But the reality is, it still happens even today. Pharisees are still prevalent today. Now, let's wrap all of this up. We've looked at what does it mean to be, the difference between sin, transgression, and living in a state of iniquity. We've looked at the fact that God himself says, I will forgive all three. We've looked at the fact that it is possible to get to the point in your own walk with God where you couldn't care less about God anymore because you've allowed transaction after transgression after transgression after transgression to the point where you're just now in a state of iniquity and you couldn't care less. So how do we wrap all this up? We'll go back to, go back to Psalm 32. And if you have a study Bible, which I'm not going to ask any of you to, 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 talk about what you see in your Bible. But if you have a study Bible, you will note that most scholars believe that this, uh, you'll see at the top of verse of chapter 32, it says, this is a mass kill of David. Okay, that means King David wrote this psalm. And if you read anything on, on, on from scholars about this particular psalm, you will read that they believe that Psalm 32 was written after Psalm 51. And what was Psalm 51? It was the psalm that David wrote after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet because David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then committed murder by having Uriah the Hittite killed so that David could hide his sin. And Nathan the prophet called David out on it, if you recall that story. And so David, in his remorse wrote Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And hear what he says. Blot out my transgressions, the things that I chose. Blot out, wash me thoroughly from, I mean, excuse me, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from any iniquity that is in me. And cleanse me from my sin, from my propensity to go away from the perfect standard. Take me back to what it means to be pure and holy and righteous in your sight, O God. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. And I I turn to you and I acknowledge that you are my only hope. 
You are the only choice that I can turn to. And if I didn't turn to you, I would end up in hell. Totally separated from you forever. I acknowledge that. Oh God, heal me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I repent. And then verse 30, chapter 32. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is atoned for. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledged, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, O God. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave not only my sins, not only my transgressions, but you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You brought me back into a state of devotement and holiness and righteousness and purity. And it is only by you and you alone that I can walk in that. And it is only by you and you alone that I can continue to walk in that. And I would venture that if you could sit in David's presence today and ask him about all of that. I would say that I would expect him to say to you, guard your heart. Every moment of every day, do not allow complacency to come into your walk with God. Guard yourself. Because A, every human being has the propensity toward. B, every human being, the word of God says, has transgressed. And if you don't continually guard against a continual walking away from God and a continual not hitting the mark, there is the potential for you to just get to the point where you couldn't care less. And then God would simply have to declare over you, Ichabod. And that's a scary thought. So the word that I hear from God this morning for us is guard your heart. If for some reason there is unconfessed sin in your life, unconfessed transgressions in your life, get on on your face before God and confess them today. If you have been allowing unconfessed transgressions to continue in your life, then be assured that iniquity has taken root and it is drawing you away from your first love. And you need to confess and repent of that as well. And acknowledge and recognize that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that any cleansing can come. And then once you have confessed and repented and received the cleansing of God, then you walk by faith in newness and in vitality in your relationship. So my encouragement to you this week is to take these words that you've heard this morning and spend some time with your father. Because the reality is, as we said at the very beginning of this service, God is about to break forth a powerful and mighty thing in this congregation and in this community. And guaranteed, if you're going to be a hindrance, you're going to be cut out. 
going back to the idea of the master vine dresser and the suckers on the plant. If you're not bringing life, you will be removed so that the work of God can continue. And I would encourage you to examine and make sure that there's absolutely nothing that God would hold against you. And I can't, I can't look at you and see it. To, all of, to me, all of you look holy. All of you look righteous. But God looks inside and he sees. And let him. And be genuine and real and honest with him. And then walk the path that he sets before you. Let's pray.